Welcome to the Draw Shops Get Genius Podcast, where we talk to today's business influencers to pick their brain and pull out their genius. It's time to get genius. Hello, listeners. So today's episode is definitely different than uh, most that I do. Um, I will warn you right now, it's going to be pretty raw. Um, It's very honest. Um, There's lots of opinions in here, and it's really actually awesome. So um, I'm excited for you to hear it. Um, Who is my guest? My guest is Tucker Max, and Tucker Max is the co-founder of Book in a Box, which is a company that's uh, created a new way to turn ideas into books, like in such a very streamlined way. It's really awesome. I super appreciate the process that uh, this that Book in a Box takes you through if you are wanting to be an author. So that's a big topic of our conversation. We're also talking Hollywood. We're getting a little raunchy. And it makes sense because if you know who Tucker Max is, you know that he uh, is the creator, the, the guy behind, I hope they serve Beer in Hell, if you remember that movie back, I don't know, maybe it was 10 years ago or so. He has written three number one New York Times bestsellers. They've sold over 3 million copies worldwide, and he's credited with being the originator of the literary genre fratire and is the only third writer after Malcolm Gladwell and Michael Lewis to ever have three books on the New York Times nonfiction bestseller list at one time. So I'd say he's pretty credible at uh, starting a company called Book in a Box, although it's kind of interesting how the company started, and you'll you'll hear that. And I think it, a lot of us can relate to it when you think of your businesses. Um, I'm starting to hear that a lot. How it's uh, you know just one kind of circumstance conversation or something that happens that just kind of like spews off this whole entire idea, and then boom, this business with massive growth happens. It's it's pretty cool. Um, so Tucker is, uh, he's pretty funny. You're definitely going to be entertained. Um, and I don't know what else to say because you just got to listen. Um, and, uh, if you have any feedback for me, I'd love to hear it. Enjoy the interview. Hello, Tucker. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Of course. My pleasure. So lots of fun stuff to talk about with you. Um, you have, you have a pretty interesting background. So I know all that we're going to talk about all the cool stuff that you're doing today, but I'd love if you could talk about what brought you to today. Like some of like, give me like two crazy adventures. I mean, right, like, how do I sum up 42 years? Like, like, what what areas do you want me to focus on? Okay, let's start with you 10 years ago. What were you doing 10 years ago? So 10 years ago, I was 32. Uh, it would have been 2007. So that was right when I started. Uh, I had uh, my uh, my first bestseller was out. Uh, on the market. Uh, I hope they serve beer in hell. And I was in Hollywood uh, in the process of getting the movie about that book made, which ended up coming out in September of 2009. Yes. I remember that movie very, very well and the book. So how did you, like, what started that book? 
Um, you know, honestly, it was emails to my friends. When, when I was, uh, I graduated from law school and then I got fired from my first job as a lawyer in like three weeks. And then my dad fired me from the family business. Oh. And, and yeah, I know. And so like, I wasn't very good at the two things that I had studied for, but I was pretty good at uh, law and business, or sorry, at writing. And um, and I, not even that I recognized that, but it was my friends who were like, you know, like I was sending my friends emails about all the, the kind of ridiculous, drunken not nonsense I was doing. Uh, you know, the same stuff everyone does in their 20s, except I, I kind of took it a little bit further and then I wrote it all down in emails. And so they were like, look, man, this stuff's really funny. You should, you should, you know, publish this stuff. And so I tried to get a book deal. Uh, and that was in 2002. And not only like no one wanted to publish, I mean, I sent queries to every agent, every publisher, and everyone was like, no, go away. This is terrible. We hate you. Like literally every single one. And so I, I put my stuff up on uh, the internet for free, which at the time like was not a thing. Like that was like GeoCities was still around. I think I used the GeoCities site, and uh, and and people were like, you know, the internet was like the place where like you know creepy strangers hung out. Like, and you know, it, and now of course, 15 years later, you use the internet to like summon strangers, and then you get in a car from it, you know. But um, uh, but anyway, so I put my site up, and it kind of blew up, and um, and so it kind of became this big thing, and. And then got a publishing deal, and now three number one New York Times bestsellers later, and a movie and all that sort of stuff. Um, that that whole thing kind of peaked around 2011, 2012, I think. So, how did the whole movie process go? Like, how did it? Who did somebody approach you and say this has to be a movie? And then what was that whole process like? Like turning yeah, it, it into it, one. It was awful. Everything about <laughs> Hollywood is terrible. Like, <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, it was the worst. So yeah, of course, like if any, any book, any story that does well, Hollywood always comes calling. And, um, uh, it was just everything about it was terrible and I hated it. Uh, but it was like at the time in my head, like I had to have a movie done of this and, and whatever. And so, I mean, I went out to Hollywood and I got it done. Like I got the movie finished and, and it got released and, and all that stuff happened. Uh, but it, it was just, I lived in LA for two years and I don't think I've hated anywhere more than LA, uh, as a place. I, there's no industry that I know of that's worse than the entertainment industry. Maybe like the mining industry is worse, like where they have like actual slaves and they, you know, chop off like, you know, kids arms and like, like blood diamonds and stuff like that industry is maybe worse than Hollywood. I haven't worked in it, but, um, uh, uh, that's the only one I can think of that's worse. I hated every aspect of it to the point where like when I was done with my last obligation for my movie, I left like from there, like I left to the minute I could leave LA. Oh, I wow. So yeah. that was based on your experience. Do you think everyone has that experience though? Uh, if you have a soul, you do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone I know who loves Hollywood and has good experiences out there, are either shallow or soulless, one or the other, uh, you know, and like my favorite part is like everyone's starting to figure this out now, you know, like the whole Weinstein thing broke and now it's like everyone's realizing that like half of Hollywood uh, uh, are like monsters. And it's I'm like, so yeah. crazy, like yeah. all of that that's coming out and it's so, what's so sad is like how many things were acceptable and just the norm yeah. until finally somebody said something. 
Yeah. So, I mean, what's funny is I, I knew this and I said something when I was there. No one, well, let me, I mean, I'm not a woman, right? And I'm definitely not even an attractive woman. And I'm not even really even an attractive man. So it's like no one was really sexually harassing me, right? Uh, so I, thankfully, I didn't have to deal with that. But that's the thing with terrible people. It's like they're not just terrible at one thing. They're terrible at everything. Like Harvey Weinstein fucked everybody. And I don't mean literally. Like he, he you know, he assaulted and raped a lot of women. But he would also screw you in deals. And like not just a little bit. Like he was... He was t- he was a monster. I'll, let me I'll tell you a story about Har- Harvey, like a business story. And it doesn't compare, obviously, to like physically assaulting someone, but just to give you an idea of what kind of monster he is. Um, so long, long story short, he he th- there was this story in like the New Yorker about s- some family in Mexico. It was something about soccer, and it was like an incredibly uplifting, like really amazing story about how some team from some random dirt hovel in Mexico like won some international tournament, like, you know, junior kids tournament or something like that. Right. Yeah. And so obviously like, like a reporter went down there, did the story, wrote it up. It was like a, a big story in like the New Yorker or New York magazine. And Harvey bought the rights to the story from the family. Uh, and he negotiated a $150,000 deal, right. Which was like all the money in the world. Like the entire village was going to like, you know, be reformed and all this, like it, it was like, I mean, that would be like you and I making $150 million. It was It was like this massive sort of amazing thing. And so long, long story short, uh, the guy who produced the movie, like, like kind of the, the guy who – the intermediary between Harvey and this family is a guy I know. And so the, the long, long story short, the family calls this guy one day and says, you know, like, like kind of their broken English. Uh, his name is Brian. Oh, Mr. Brian, you know, like – Thank you so much. Like, you know, just so thankful. He's like, yeah, great. It's no problem. What, what's wrong? He's like, well, we think there was a mistake maybe. Like, we don't want to cause problems. But, uh, he's like, yeah, what's wrong? He's like, well, you know, the check is for 100000 100, and, and I thought the deal, you know, we, we said the deal was 150. Like, we're, we're happy with 100 if that's all it is. Like, well, it's still amazing. And, and Brian's like, no, no, no. The deal is 150. I'm sure there's just a mistake. Let me call Harvey. Uh, uh, let me call, yeah, like, uh, Weinstein Company, I think, because at that time it wasn't Miramax, it was Weinstein Company, and let me get this sorted out. And so he calls up business affairs at Weinstein Company, and the head of business affairs, uh, basically the head lawyer, goes, oh, yeah, yeah, Harvey said just to cut check for 100 grand. And Brian's like, what are you talking about? Like, the, the deal's 150, like, it's clear as day in the contract, like, one pay, like, there's no, this is not, like, you're breaking the deal. And the lawyer says, oh, I know. Harvey said that they're just some poor Mexicans and fuck them. They can sue them if they want the other 50 grand. <gasps> yeah, seriously. That's the type of monster he is. Oh but by gosh. the way, he's not the worst. Like he's in the top 10. He's not the worst monster in Hollywood. Like, I, you know, the story that ha- that's gotten way less attention is like, uh, and this is not a, like a world I saw very much, but I, I kind of knew enough and I knew enough of the people to know like this is a real thing. Like, you would not believe the pedophilia stuff that goes on in Hollywood. Oh, no. You would not believe. Like, uh, like uh, the person who talks about this the most is, is Corey Feldman. And he talked about this on The View. And, like, Barbara Walters shamed him and, and, like, told him he was lying and all this crazy stuff. And, like, thank God, obviously, like, I was not involved in any way in that. I mean, I wasn't in Hollywood as a kid and, and, and whatever. But, like, um, 
I mean, it's a monstrous, terrible place. Like people, people think I'm just saying, oh, you know, like shallow actresses and, and, and nutty producers. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's evil. It's truly an evil place. Now it doesn't have to be, there's nothing inherently evil about film or whatever. Like, like there's all kinds of YouTube stars who aren't doing stuff like this, you know, it's not, it's not video. It's not movies. It's not TV inherently. It's the, the way the Hollywood system works and the people in it, the people that this, the way the system rewards people and the people who climb to the top, they're not all monsters, but a huge portion of them are horrific monsters. Crazy. Yeah, I know. It's, it's probably not the way you thought that the interview was going to go, but I'll tell you the <laughs> truth about, like, you ask, I'll tell you. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we get to be honest here. <laughs> okay. So then let's talk about let's talk about like your family background and, and how it led you to do the things that you did. Like, you know, I hope they serve beer in hell type stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, all right. So when you say, what do you mean family background? Like I had no, no family background as a writer. What do you mean? In what way? No, just like what, like what led you to, cause you said, you know, you were doing the typical stuff that 20 year olds do, but right. a lot of 20 year olds did not up. do a lot of that stuff. Like it's I not, mean, like I don't know. I, I don't know doing. what I don't know what your experience was like in college and and the five four, four or five years after college. But most of the people I know got drunk, threw up, acted stupid, hooked up, fell down, like like all of those things. I just kind of like I did a, a little bit more of that stuff than most people, but not that much. Just a little bit more, and then I wrote about it. That was really kind of it. You know what's funny is a lot of people say. A lot of people will say that. They'll be like, oh, no one does that. Like, that's like half the people will be like, oh, these stories are made up. They, no one's that crazy. And then, like, the other half of people will be like, dude, your stories are weak, man. Your best story is my Tuesday. And I, and I hear that all the time from people. All the time from people. Do you think, like, because I know for fact when I think of, like, experiences with people – I know, like, I've I've seen some people at their worst, right? I mean, like you said, just, like, making a total ass of themselves. And then you see them, like, a week later, and they told they have no clue. Like, they don't even remember it. It's not even talked about. Like, do you think that there's so many people that have these experiences and just block them out? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, I don't know. Uh, yeah, th- does that exist, of course. And, and then for some people, it's just, like, I, I mean, they, they pretend they don't remember but they do. Like, I'll, I'll give you a, a great example. There, are, there was a, a study done in England about this. Like, uh, it was done in the 90s, I think. No, it was done in the 2000s. And basically, uh, there was like this hot, just a random hospital where girls would come in, women would come in, I guess a few men, but I think it was actually pretty much all women but one or two, and who were like complained about um, or thought they might have been uh, like roofied, you know, or something they put in their drinks at a club, right? And and so uh, they would come in and, and every girl who complained about, who came in like, you know, basically showing signs of like extremely drunk, extremely out of it, extremely intoxicated or sort of, you know, altered in some way. And, um, uh, you know, friends would bring them in, whatever. They, and they, of course, for every single one, they draw blood and they do a full toxicology report. I think it was 250 women or something like that in the study. Do you know how many of those actually had uh, the presence of any sort of date rape drug at all in their system? Oh, my gosh. I'm dying to know. Zero. Oh, zero. I thought you were going to give me a low Zero. Percentage. Not one. <laughs> 
Every single one of them was just drunk <laughs> off their ass. <laughs> or, or they, and or they had other drugs in their system, right? right like, like, you know, yeah. party drugs, pot, MDMA, whatever it is, right? Right, right. Literally not one woman had a date rape drug. Right now, I'm not saying date rape drugs don't exist and some guys don't use them. The point is, in this hospital, and I think it's indicative of a lot of places, the 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 women who were representing, because most of them would come in, their friends would drag them in or whatever, and they'd be like, oh yeah, like, I, you know, obviously I got roofied because why else would I act like this? They acted like that because they had three bottles of wine before they went out, and then they had a bunch of shots and then this and that and whatever, and they didn't want to admit to their friends or, or to anyone else that they were drunk. You know, I mean, so yeah, does that happen? Absolutely. And do most people uh, pretend things don't happen that they did because they're ashamed or embarrassed? Yeah, I think the big, the big reason my one of the big reasons my stuff blew up is be, not just because it was funny, but because I was the first person who stood up with my real face and real name and said, "I do this," and didn't wasn't ashamed about it and didn't act repentant. And didn't pretend, didn't play any of those games. I said, you know what? Like literally, it's like how the book starts. I like to drink. I like to, I like to hook up with girls. I like to party and be a jackass sometimes. And it's super fun. And that's what I'm going to do. And I did it. And, and I think millions of people love that because they felt, not everybody, but huge numbers of people felt the exact same way. And they loved me because I just admitted what they already knew and did, you know? So what were, what kind of negative feedback did you get when you did this? You know, it was like on a much smaller scale, yeah. but it was almost the exact same thing as what happened to Eminem. Like, um, do you remember, it, isn't it funny now? I, you might not be old enough. It's funny now to think about like, Eminem's almost considered like kind of like old school rapper, not quite, but he's like, like it's almost laughable that Eminem would be controversial now. I know. But I don't know if you Remember at the time that dude would it didn't get more controversial than Eminem. Yeah, I was I'm am still I love Eminem. <laughs> him. Oh, dude, I, I think he's a, one of the most brilliant artists of our generation. Like uh, he is he is iconic in so many ways. But like all that dude did was stood up and told the fucking truth about his life, and that was it. And I did the exact same thing, uh, you know, about my life. Obviously, my life's different than his, so like I didn't I didn't. I didn't have angry battle raps. I was like, I had fun drinking stories, right? We had different lives. But like, like that, that's all most artists do. Whether you're a great artist, a popular artist, if you're successful at all at your art, you are almost certainly, it's almost certainly because you are speaking a truth, right? And it's usually a truth that people feel and believe but won't say. And so the pushback I got was just from angry people who were pissed off that I was speaking a truth that conflicted with their identity or their beliefs. So whether it was the religious right who thinks that no one should drink or have sex or have fun in their life, or it was the opposite side, like the, the deeply illiberal social justice warrior types who you're seeing now, like they were not as big 10, 15 years ago as they are now. But like those types are just like the, the fun, they're both fundamentalists. One is fundamentalist on the left and one is fundamentalist on the right. And a, and a fundamentalist at its core, uh, it, like they, they only accept people who believe the exact same thing they do. They are deeply tribalistic. And anyone who stands up and says, fuck you, they freak out about and try and shame and put down all that sort of shit. And yeah, so that was 
though that was exact I, I went through the exact same thing Eminem did just on a much smaller scale because I was nowhere near as big as he was so obviously it ta- I, for some people maybe it didn't for you because you were like I'm just going to tell my story but for some people they will hear something like this and they're just like well I, I need to find the courage to actually share because I have some you know crazy stuff that's happened or whatever it is but they're scared because of what the the feedback might be um, let's, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm no, just no, no, say, no. Like, what what, is it, what's what, the question? What is, what do you think, like, what's, what's the difference? Like in, did you have any fear, like in, in putting that stuff out where you just like, I really don't care what anybody thinks, which is a lot of people are like that. But I think on yes. some level, no, no, everybody no, no. has a little bit of, I care what people think, you know? Uh, so yes and no, right? So here's the thing. There are people who don't literally don't care what anyone thinks. They're called sociopaths. They don't feel emotion. They don't connect with other people, right? So if someone literally, truly, in the most literal sense, does not care, that means they're a sociopath. And that usually means they're dangerous. doesn't necessarily mean they're violent. That's a psychopath. But they can be dangerous, right? So now, like... When most people say, I don't care what anyone thinks, what they mean is, I don't care what you think or what those people think, right? <laughs> and so I definitely fall into that category. Um, but uh, like the circle of people for whom uh, or whose opinions I care about is very small and very close to me. And I think that is like kind of the main difference between me or, or anyone who's willing to kind of speak their truth and people who aren't is, is like, I don't even want to say necessarily it's small. It's just like, I, I care a lot what my wife thinks, right? I care a lot what my friends think. Like I, the people I know and respect, if they tell me, dude, you're fucking up, then I'm going to listen to that. But if some jackass at the New York times, who's a total loser in his real life, uh, and, and, uh, you know, is basically just a fraud. If they have some opinion about me, either good or bad, like it's not, it doesn't move the needle for me. You know, if they like me, okay, fine. That's cool. If they don't, I, I could give a flying crap. Like, why would I, you know, I, I mean like mo- that it, it doesn't even occur to me to think about the opinions, either of people I don't know, but definitely not people I don't respect, you know, like, it, like if someone I didn't know, but really respected, had negative things to say about me, yeah, that might give me pause. I might think about it, you know? Like, it kind of depends on what they said and in what context and whatever. But um, I I think a lot of people essentially internalize the scripts and beliefs of other people, you know? Well, like, they'll... Have you ever heard someone say, well, you know, I don't want to do that. What will people think? And then I'm always like, well, what people? Like, well, you know, people. And then, like, you keep pressing them, and either they can't name people... Or they'll name specific people. Right? Well, my mom. Okay. And then, like, you break it down and you realize, like, it's actually not, like, either they, it's not people at large, or if it is, it, they don't believe that. That's just a thought that's put and put in their head by somebody else. You know, like, well, my mom always said, you know, uh, you got to keep up with the Joneses or whatever. What the hell? Like, nonsense it is. And, like, uh, so like that's I think the, the the problem with most people is that they've internalized those narratives that other people have put on them that are basically telling them what they think they should do as opposed to sort of owning their own truth and deciding for themselves. Yeah, I totally agree. 
No, and I like that too. I like the 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 clarity on I don't care what people think. I like the you know clearing that up because um we do care and there's levels of you know like you said you care about what your spouse thinks there's certain people of course you care what they think but there's definitely others that are not going to move the needle okay i want to talk about because i think this is so super cool and i know our listeners are going to like be excited about this if they don't already know about it but i want to talk about book in a box and how you actually came to decide like decided this you were going to put this together Right. Um, so basically, I was at an uh, 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 like I was at an entrepreneur dinner, is what it was, and uh, this woman came up to me and she's like, you know, I've had this book in my head for ten years. People keep asking me to write it. I don't have time. You know, I don't like writing. Like, how can I get this thing out of my head uh, without having to go through the normal process? And I kind of look at her. I'm like, did you just ask me how to write a book without writing it? And she's like, yeah, like I, I kind of did. And so, you know, I, I laughed at her. I'm like, like, well, like that's impossible. Like the word right is literally in the, the, you know, the words in the word, like right is in the word. You've got to write to write a book. You can't avoid that step. And so then I started like lecturing her about hard work. Like, yeah, yeah. Everyone says they want a book. No one wants to sit down and do it. Not all the bullshit that like snobby elitist writers say. Right. And, and what was funny is she, like, she kind of, rolled her eyes at me. She said, Tucker, are you an entrepreneur? Because this is an entrepreneurial dinner. So I assume that you're an entrepreneur. And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. And she's like, I don't know. I'm not sure though, because you keep lecturing me about hard work instead of helping me solve my problem. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> cause she, cause she was totally, she was totally right. She was a hundred percent right. Like I, you know, like I was being a jackass. And so I became obsessed with this problem. Like how do I solve a problem? Or how do I get this book out of her head without her having to sit down and, and, and bang away at a computer for a year? And then it, it hit me. I was like, oh, of course. Like scribes. You know, like people have been doing this for thousands of years. Socrates never wrote a word down. Jesus never wrote a word down. Uh, Marco Polo was, as far as we know, illiterate. Buddha never wrote anything down. But we have all of their works. How do we have them? Because of scribes. So it's obviously possible for someone to talk and get that work into a book. And so I like I got the whiteboard and I wrote down every single step it would take to write a book, like everything it took. And I realized I didn't actually need her um, unless like we were doing content. You know, like obviously that's the you know the most important part of the book, but there's a huge amount of work that is independent of content. And so I was like, I called her up, I'm like, Melissa, here's what we can do. Uh, Every time I need like every time I need ideas and content, I'm gonna come to you because I don't know anything. Her field is like pop-up retail, right? And I'm like, I don't know anything about it. And I'm not gonna ghostwrite this book. Like I'm not just gonna make stuff up and do research on my own. Like it's gotta be in your voice, which is what she wanted too. She wanted it to be in her voice. And I'm like, that's great. So so we'll do that. But um, like you just gotta be on the phone. And she's like, okay, great, I'll I'll interview you. So I didn't think it was gonna work, I'll be honest, uh, but it did, and it worked amazingly. And so but here's how dumb I was. I didn't even realize it was a company. I was like, oh, that's a pretty cool project. Like, that's interesting. And then, like, let's go do something else. And then she started referring people to me. And not, like, people who were like, oh, that's a cool idea. And then, like, you know, went on their merry way. These are people who literally cut me checks. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you cutting me a check for? I don't even have a company. They're like, well, just do for me what you did for Melissa. And then I went on this podcast 
Uh, I went on Lewis Howes' podcast, actually. And I, 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 like, we didn't even talk. It wasn't even about this. It was about something else. And Lewis, uh, like, is dyslexic. And so we talked about sort of, like, uh, this process. And he thought it was so cool. And he's like, oh, man, that's awesome. Like, what do you call it? I didn't even have a name. Like, the guy who'd been helping me, Zach Obron, who became my co-founder, and I, like, jokingly called it Book in a Box. So that's what I said on the podcast. And Lewis is like, oh, you should go check it out. Like, go get your book done this way, whatever. And I didn't really honestly think twice about it. And then the next day, I get an email uh, from somebody who's like, hey, I can't find this book in a box online. I want to check this out and sign up. Where do I do it? And I was like, and I knew the podcast wasn't out, right? And I was like, what? I'm like, who the hell is this? What is it? He's like, oh, sorry, man. I'm Lewis's uh, podcast producer. And that's when I was like, Zach, we might have like a big thing here. And Zach's like, well, no shit, dude. I've been telling you this for months. <laughs> and so we put up like this kind of janky landing page and ended up doing $200,000 worth of business in two months. Wow. And it's, I know, I know exactly, right? And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So like this is a big deal. And so then like we kind of committed full on to this. That was almost exactly three years ago. Since then, we've done 600 books. Uh, we've got... 30 full-time employees now. We've got 150 freelancers we work with. It's like, it's a real company now. That's so rad. I love that. Well, I used to be a ghostwriter, so I super appreciate the whole, the way that you've done everything. Um, yeah, long being, but about how long Eric and I have had the draw shop for, I guess, eight years almost? Yeah. And before that, I was ghostwriting. And it's funny because um, he was saying how your process is similar to our process when we, you know, do videos for people. I mean, obviously, there's your one's coming out with a video, one's coming out with the book. But like in terms of like the simple way of just like outlining it in the different phases, I love that. And I think that's what excites people, especially when I when I look at your site, it's so cleanly done and it's so clear, like what's going to happen when you sign up. And I, I love that. So I applaud you for that. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Yeah. So um, how how have you managed? Like, have you had bumps in the road in terms of, I mean, it's pretty fast growth, right? Over over three years. How, how have you managed that? Have things significantly changed outside of just growing and adding more people? Or have things happened where you, oh my gosh, we have to totally redo the way we, you know, uh, onboard clients or whatever it is like it has has have things drastically changed or do you feel like it's kind of been steady uh i wish it had been steady <laughs> no no it's been a complete like rocket ship's not even the right word so so we really took off somewhere around like like the one year anniversary like the 12 to 18 month period we took off and like added like a hundred clients in like, I don't know, six months or something. It was, it was, it was fucking bonkers. And we were not, we, we were equipped to do like, you know, five a month and we were now doing like 20 a month or something. And it, 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 it basically pretty much broke the company. And so, uh, we actually had to bring on a full-time CEO and like a, a serious professional. This dude is a baller CEO and like we got really lucky because he was a client of ours. Like I have no idea how I would have found this uh, like a, a baller like this if, if I had had to go out and do it. Like and find this person. Like I'm not sure what I would have done. But uh, he was a client and he was doing a book with us and he loved our process. 
But like, and I kind of had joked, this guy at the time was CEO of like a hundred million dollar software company and he didn't, or he's president of it. He didn't start it, but he was the guy who scaled it. Like he took it from nothing like 2 million bucks to a hundred million. And so like, I was joking with him, like, man, you got to help me with this CEO thing. Like, I'm not very good at it. You seem to be really good at it. So he's like, Oh dude, I'm happy to give you advice. And, and he's like, I'll tell you what, every time I have any sort of touch point with your company, I'm going to call you up. I'm going to tell you what I think, give you my feedback. I'm like, that's amazing. And so like, he was serious. Every time we did anything, he would call me and he'd be like, okay, here's three things you did right. They were fantastic. Now here's the 20 things you could have done better. And like, just dis- would destroy us. But it was like, not in a mean way. He was 100% right. Everything he said was right. And, and, and so it was so frustrating. And long, long story short, basically, I, um, I offered him a nice chunk of the company. And I kind of laid out the vision. Here's like, we're not there now, but here's where we can get. And he was super excited by it. He loved it. Gave, gave him a chunk of the company. And I stepped aside for him. Like, I left the CEO position. Uh, Zach ended up leaving the COO position. And JT is our CEO, brought in sort of his own people. And now, like, that's basically why we scaled. We'd done, like, two and a half million before he came on board. Two and a half million in 18 months, which is, like, you know, it's pretty good. Pretty solid for the first 18 months. Since then, we've done, like, I think 12 and it's been about 18 months. Like, so he 5X the company or more, 6X the company or something in basically the same amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty amazing. Well, it's so cool because he went through the process with you. So he he knew what it was all about. I, it is hard to find people like that. So like you said, how would you have found him? It's so cool that he was a client. Um, you know, like, I have no idea. I really don't know. Like, it, I... I the, I don't ever give advice for things that I have not experienced and done. And so I, I stepped aside. I could talk about the emotional process of stepping aside as CEO for your own company because I did that. But like I didn't go on a search. In fact, we actually hired a GM for the company before we hired JT and she was a total disaster. I hired the direct opposite person I should have hired. And like so like you should basically take everything I would tell you about how to find and hire this person and do the fucking opposite. <laughs> it's terrible what we did. Like we, like when we were on our hiring search, like we had to fire her in like two, three months. Like she was the complete wrong person for the wow. company. So who's like, who's the best type of client for you guys? Like who's, who's the best candidate for book in a box? Uh, so, um, it, it, it's pretty simple. Like someone who knows what they're talking about, Right, like they, they're a professional. They they're a knowledge worker. You know, co- co- a coach, a consultant, a CEO, a high-level executive, an entrepreneur. Um, you know, any sort of thought leader type. Right, like you 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 teach or you do things for people that are difficult and hard. People come to you for advice. You know what you're talking about, and you just want to get that into a book. You know, like. Uh, we, we are essentially a pure knowledge extraction service. Like we get it out of your head. We structure it into a book. We make sure it's exactly what you need to get the results you want. We get all your knowledge and ideas out of your head and we put it into a book that is your words, your ideas in your words and even your voice, right? So for, I mean, we only charge 25 grand for this. So we're not, you know, I'm not writing your book for you. Like it's not my ideas and my content and my sort of um wording or anything like that you know uh, we we do have a higher end service that's usually 50 to seventy-five thousand, where it's much more of a co-creator and we can kind of help you develop the ideas and flush them out and whatever 
but that's, that's a small minority of our clients. The vast majority of our clients are, um, are people who like people, someone like Eric, you know, like he knows what he's talking about. He doesn't need any help developing his ideas. He just doesn't want to have to sit down and spend a year writing a book. He doesn't want to be frustrated with the process of doing a book. And he wants some professionals to make sure his book is, is exactly what a book should be. And his knowledge is, is, is in a book exactly right. and looks as good as it could. And do you guys do the design of the book and the layout, oh, like the, the complete everything. thing? Awesome. Everything. Full service book publishing. So like you come to us as long as you have your idea and, and you have the money and there's a clear ROI for you. Um, like you're trying to get something, you know, whether it's, you know, speaking gigs or, you know, credibility or authority or thought leadership or leads for your company or, or what, even you're just trying to share this stuff to help people and, and, and maybe like, you know, like everything else is, is cream. That's fine too. Um, but like, as long as you have those three things, uh, you know, clear idea, money, uh, to pay and a, a clear ROI. We can t- we take you the entire rest of the way to a fully published distributed book out in the world that anyone can buy at any bookstore. That is so awesome because I know it can cost, you know, just to get a draft of a book, it can cost nearly $20,000 with a really good ghostwriter. So well, what ghostwriter are you working with that charges 20 grand? Way more than that. A good, a good, if you charge 20 grand, you were way too cheap. A good ghost, a good one is at least 50. They're usually oh, they 75. Are. Oh, they are. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. 75 to 100 oh, if no. they're good. They're too, yeah. that, that's, that is usually, that is the norm. But I'm saying, you know, for, for some people just to, to do, so that's why it's like, 25,000. That's like, what? <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, this is so cool. So, okay. Everyone can check that out at bookinabox.com, correct? Yes. Bookinabox.com. The site is super awesome. I love it. I love sites like that. I love it when you don't have to like, like you look at it and all your questions are answered, you know, like that's just yeah. good marketing. <laughs> that's that, I'm glad you say that, man. It, it took us a long time to get this site this way. It was not easy. Yeah. And I mean, it's the same like with putting out a book, you know, people do have a lot of information and they're clear in their head, but some people it's just hard to like get it out, organize it and figure out the outline of how it should go. So to be able to have like a team like yours on your side. But I just think it's so awesome that it's like from beginning, like concept of like, here's what I want. Here's what I want it to do to like the very end of like, here's your printed book. That's like awesome. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's what people want, man. They don't want to have to deal with it. They just want to get their knowledge out of their head. They just want to get on the phone and then have the book show up. That's exactly them. Yep. Well, you're so cool. And I'm so excited that you were on the show with me and I can't wait to hear the interview that you did with Eric too. That was for one of our other ventures, but, um, yeah, you're just cool in so many ways. I remember back in the day watching the movie, reading the book, going, this is awesome. <laughs> and I totally applauded your like just realness. So thank you for that. And thank you for today. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's Get Genius. You can learn more about The Draw Shop at www.thedrawshop.com on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Your home for kick butt custom whiteboard marketing videos your ideas come to life. Thanks for listening. Please share, comment, and make any suggestions for future genius guests.